word in the book of Mark that's used again and again, and it's the word immediately. I love the book of Mark. So from verse 16 to 20, you'll understand what I mean. And as Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, Come after me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And when Jesus had gone a little further from there, he saw James, and the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after Jesus. Thank you, Maureen. I think I got the translation wrong. I thought you were going to be reading from the Living Translation, so um, may have been a little bit different on the screen. Thank you. Um, many of you know there was a, a year after I left school where I was um, out west uh, in the, the dry and flat lands of Burke, and uh, I was there doing some discipleship training at a, a college named Cornerstone, and uh, it was a lot of hard work, mornings on the farm, afternoons of study, and, uh, and the experience of the hottest of hot and the coldest of cold. And so opportunities to, uh, to get away from the farm every now and then were, were gleefully taken, um, like um, camp, youth camps at Camp Tookley, and, uh, and one that I, I was able to go to uh, that was on the Gold Coast. Now, not all of the students got to go to those things, so... Uh, there was myself and, and another guy, Phil, who were particularly close. We shared a room and, uh, and studies and those sorts of things. And this experience was one that, uh, that Phil didn't go on. He had to stay back at the camp um, or the, at the centre and, and work for the local plumbers while I got to go to the Gold Coast and, uh, and attend a youth camp with bands like In the Silence playing and, uh, and going to the theme parks and going to the beaches and those sorts of things. There were many good things to remember from that time, but one of the things that I, I remember most clearly was a conversation that I had with a, a new Christian there, where he talked to me about um, receiving Jesus as his saviour, and he was so excited about it. And I said to him, now you're not, you can't just receive Jesus as your saviour, but you also have to receive him as your Lord. And he kind of looked at me a bit quizzically, and I tried to explain things to him at that time, and and came away a little bit perplexed myself and thought, well, how, how is it that he hasn't yet taken on this, this understanding that, that Jesus needs to be more than just our saviour, that he also needs to be our Lord? But I guess what we both experienced at that moment was that there is an experience of receiving Christ that is joyful in its beginning and it's complete in its beginning. As we put our faith in Jesus, we receive salvation in its fullness. But it's also the beginning of something much greater. It's a relationship in which we experience the presence of Jesus daily in our lives. And daily, we become more like him. Last week, we looked at repentance as our first message for the year. Because if we're to receive anything from God, repentance is a key. 
unless we're able to come before God in humility and recognize the sin that's in our lives, we can't expect to receive anything from the Lord. But as we come and we receive from him forgiveness, we also receive so much more, a changed life. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Let's ask the Lord his blessing on the word as we read it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for gathering us together, for this is not a coincidence. Lord, we thank you for your word being preserved for us, for this is by your providence. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to, to hear from you, because you are present with us here. So Lord, we pray by your spirit and through your anointing that you would speak to each one of us this morning, that we would hear, that we would receive, and that we would believe all of the truth of your word and your plan for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In Mark's gospel, we're introduced to some of the first disciples of Jesus. What were their names? Simon, yes, Andrew, and the sons of Zebedee, James and John. Very good, you've been listening. Um, we, we hear the story here after Jesus' baptism of him walking uh, along the Sea of Galilee and meeting some fishermen and, and calling to them and immediately they respond. In John's Gospel, we meet these same characters in this same place at a time that is kind of in between Jesus' baptism and this calling of, of the disciples on the second and third day after his baptism. Uh, turn with me to John chapter 1 and you'll see what I mean. In John chapter 1, verse 35, we hear that the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. This is the day after Jesus' baptism. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said, and he said to them, What are you seeking? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. There's an experience of meeting Jesus that is an invitation. Come and meet him. Come and see something of the life of Jesus, who he is, where he's staying in this circumstance. What is it that he can do for your life? One of those disciples of John was named Andrew. And Andrew, we read, went from there to his brother Simon and said, We've found the Messiah, which means Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, Simon, the son of John, you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So Andrew gets that invitation from Jesus to come and see where he's staying. And then he gives that invitation to his brother Simon. Come and see the one who we think is the Messiah. Come and see and see what he might do for you. For Peter, the first thing is the, the change of name. There are two other disciples that John mentions. The next day, the third day after his baptism, he went to Galilee and found Philip and said, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the same city as Andrew and Peter's. And Philip found Nathanael. And he said, We found him who, the Mo who Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And then we get the classic response of Nathaniel, can anything good come of, of Galilee? And, and then the meeting of Jesus and Nathaniel, where Jesus reveals a, a, a word of knowledge of Nathaniel. I, I saw you when you were under the fig tree, 
And Nathaniel, the first to declare, Jesus, you are the Son of God. You are the, the Christ, the one that we've been waiting for. And Jesus says, this is just the beginning. In all of these instances, there's a come and a see moment, a meeting of Jesus. Now, of all of these disciples, Peter, um, Andrew, James, John, Nathaniel, Philip, what were they as men? Most of them. Fishermen, yeah. Did they remain as they were? No. Jesus saw them tending their nets, fishing with their father, and said, follow me, and immediately they changed who they were. They left their fishing nets behind, and they followed Jesus. Then what did they become? Disciples of Jesus. As Jesus promised, you will become fishers of men. Go through the Gospels and turn to the book of Acts that follows John. Acts chapter 4. In the chronology of Jesus' life and ministry, this is after he has returned to heaven and the disciples are now preaching. Acts chapter 4 verse 13 says, When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognised that they had been with Jesus. They saw them still as fishermen in a sense. Here's some uneducated men. But they're hearing them speaking truths about God and teaching with boldness and with authority. Who are these fishermen to be doing this sort of thing? Well, they're no longer fishermen, are they? They recognised that these were people who had been with Jesus. Jesus calls us to salvation, and it's a one-time event that transforms our lives, where we go from being in darkness to coming into light, where we go from being sinners to being saints, where we go from living under the burden of sin to being forgiven, where we go from being outside of the family of God to be, being his dearly loved sons and daughters. These men went from being fishermen to being people who others recognised had been with Jesus. I see it in these ways. There's a telling, a selling and a smelling. There's a telling. When someone comes to you and says, I want to tell you about Jesus. I've met a man who I think is going to change your life. I see that you've been searching for him. Or I know you've been asking questions that I think by meeting Jesus, you will have answered. That's the telling. The selling comes when we actually come face to face with Jesus ourselves. For some, it's just in a hotel room when they pull out the Gideon's Bible and they begin to read it. Or they pull the Bible off the shelf that's been there gathering dust for years and they begin to read it. Or they begin to see in the life of a new person into their life who's become a believer in Christ, the stories of Jesus being told. They meet Jesus and begin to ask those questions of belief. Is he really who he says he is? When he says that he is the Son of God, can I believe that? When he says that I've come not to judge the world, but that I might save it. When I hear that he gave his life and shed his blood for me, 
do I believe that? In Ephesians 1.13 we read, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in him and were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. There's a hearing and there's a believing. And at that point of belief, God gives us his Holy Spirit, the seal of our salvation. It comes with our belief. That's the telling and that's the selling. What of the smelling? Well, let's continue through the New Testament to the letter of Philippians. After Galatians, after Ephesians, into Philippians. Paul's writing to people who have heard about Jesus and said, we believe in Jesus. We take his forgiveness and his new life upon ourselves. And so then Paul says to them, essentially that same conversation I had with the young man on the Gold Coast. If Jesus is your saviour, now make him your Lord. He says in chapter 2, if there is any encouragement in Christ... Any comfort from his love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. He says, if you have received anything from Jesus, it needs to be shown in the way that you live. Believers, be of one mind, be of one spirit. Now, I guess you could read that and say, oh, that's just uh, a common unity. Just have the same purpose. But I think Paul means more than that. Look in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus, uh, Paul tells the Jesus story to believers once again. He points them back to the cross and he says, that's not just a story of your salvation. That's not just something that Jesus did so that your sins would be forgiven and your conscience cleansed. Jesus did this as an example that you might have the same mind and the same spirit. As Jesus humbled himself and became a servant to others, you believers, humble yourselves that you would be servants of one another. For he says later, this is verse 12, My beloved, as you have always obeyed in my presence, uh, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, I know we, we spend a lot of time divorcing faith and works from each other. In order to promote the, the idea and the truth that our salvation is not by our own works. We can't earn by merit favour with God. We only acknowledge that we fall short of God's measure for us. And that Christ has done everything in order that we might be made acceptable to God. That's the core of the gospel. But if you then go on and say, 
and so God has done it all, there's nothing needed on my part, then you fall short of all that God has planned for you. For in that forgiven and holy state, God's plan for you is that you would work out your salvation, that you would go from just accepting Jesus as your saviour to embracing him as your Lord, that you would, with fear and trembling, see that God is working in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. He wants to change you from being the fisherman to being the fisher of men, from being the person who is hiding away in fear with a knowledge of Jesus to being the person who boldly speaks of Jesus being raised from the dead and glorified and seated, seated at the, in the heavens. Uh, let's go back a little bit in the New Testament to 2 Corinthians, another letter of Paul's, and see exactly what it is that Paul's hoping for us as believers. Earlier in the chapter, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul goes back and begins to retell some of the stories of the Old Testament. How you remember how God, when, when Moses went up to the mountain, gave him the tablets of stone, which was the covenant between him and his people, the promises by which he would bless his people and bring them into security and, and provision in the land that he'd promised, how they would show the nations of the world that they were not like the nations of the world that they were a chosen people set apart by God. And when Moses came from meeting with God, his face was radiant, so much so that the people couldn't bear to look at him. And so he put a veil over his face so that that radiance from his face would, would not be offensive to the people. Now, Paul, said, uh, yeah, Paul writes, we have received a, a promise even greater than that, Reading from verse 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses who put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened for this day. And we read of the old covenant in the same veil. Uh, sorry, that same veil remains unlifted because through Christ it is taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. God wants each one of us to radiate the glory of God through this new promise and this new covenant that we've been brought into. We are being transformed into the image of God. That's why I say there's a telling and a selling and a smelling. We come close enough to God that we, we're intimate with him. My kids know when it's Sunday because when, they, when mum comes out, they, they can smell the perfume that she puts on only on a Sunday. You've got to be close enough to be able to smell that, to know. My kids have that closeness with their mother. We have a closeness with God where we, we know his aroma and we know his fragrance. 
But God wants us to be the aroma and fragrance of Christ. He wants us to have that intimate relationship with him that when we go out, people would go, doesn't quite make sense. We know who they are. We know their background. We know their parents. But there's something different about them. Maybe they've been with Christ. Maybe what Jesus has been doing in their life is changing who they are as a person. Maybe it's, it's not just that they've turned over a new leaf, but that God is doing something in their life. And I want to know more about that, what that is, that it has, a, has a, a good smell. Some will smell it and be turned off, don't get me wrong. Just as Christ was a stumbling block for, for many but a cornerstone for those who believed. Some will smell and reject, but others will, will smell and, and want more of that. And that's the work that God wants to do in us, to reveal himself, yes, as our saviour, but for, for us then to, to continue in a relationship with him where he becomes our Lord. The Old Testament has those words for God. Isaiah 43 verse 3 says, I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. I am Lord and Saviour. And Peter writes in his second letter, 2 Peter 3.18, Grow in the grace and knowledge of, of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. To him be both glory now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Now, an Old Testament uh, parallel to a New Testament uh, looks easy, but it's a little bit more complex than that. God is both Lord and Saviour, and Jesus is both Lord and Saviour. Do you know why you read Lord in the Old Testament or what that word represents? Maybe at the front of your Bible, it's at the front of mine. There's a few helpful um, notes there that explain the way that your translation has has dealt with with original languages mine will say that in the old testament when you're looking at the hebrew um, god reveals his name in in many different ways sometimes in the hebrew the word god is is just like a generic word a bit like we use god or, or lots of people might use god for any form of god um, like El would be a, a, a Hebrew word for God. Um, sometimes when God speaks to his people, though, he reveals to them his name. But he reveals it in a way that, that they can't pronounce. Just Y-H-W-H, or Hebrew letters, but it, it's, it's sort of an impronounceable name because he wants his people to have such reverence for that name. And so... Sometimes in place of that, you would have the word Adonai, which means Lord. And if you put the word Adonai along with the impronounceable word, you get the word Jehovah. So some translations will have Jehovah God. It's trying to, to, to put into words a God who reveals himself personally, but, but in a way that, that can't be pronounced. In my translation, and probably many of yours, whenever that word appears in the Old Testament, our translations bring in the Adonai and just write 
Lord, sometimes in small capital letters. And so it is in, uh, in Isaiah when he says, I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. In, in a way, he's saying, I am God, your God. In a way, though, he's making it more personal. And he's saying, I am a revealed God to you. I've told you my name. You know who I am. I am distinct from all the gods of the nations. I am the Holy One. And so when we read that, that God says, I am the Lord your God, we're to see that he is God and he is personal. He's a personal God in authority over his people and he is their saviour. When they have turned their back on him, he has saved them. When they've been enslaved, he has saved them. When the enemies have risen up against them, he has saved them. Why? Because he is God and he's personal to them. And in the New Testament, when we read Lord, it means that, that person of authority, that ruler, that master. It's the Greek word kyrios, not to be confused with a tennis player. Um, might help you remember it though. Master. Jesus is our master, but he is also our God. And so when we accept him as our saviour, we also accept him as one who is high and exalted. One who is God, but who is personal to us. And so as we respond to that call that we would come and meet him, we also respond to a call that we might be transformed by him and made into his likeness. For he is worthy of our worship, but personal to our daily lives. And as I was reflecting on that, these words came to my mind. He lives, he lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and he talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives. Salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives? He lives within my heart. The hymn writer knew it, that God is both our Saviour and our Lord. Salvation invites our hearts to sing, but God personally invites us that we might walk with him day by day by day. Someone has said that Jesus is not only the resident of our heart, but also the president. He's invited into our hearts as, as he knocks on our door and, and we respond in faith. But then he wants to take control. He wants us to submit each and every part of our lives to his lordship, that we would be different because we're Christian. So I want to just ask you this morning, what's one thing in your life that you want to make different this week because Christ is your Lord just think about it in general terms maybe what about my driving how might my driving be different if Jesus is my Lord what about my family how might I relate to one member of my family differently because Jesus is my Lord what about my conversations what's one conversation this week
that will be different because Jesus is my Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you that you walked on the earth, that you know our human condition, that you meet us where we live. But Lord, I thank you that, that as you meet with us, that you have a great and wonderful plan for our lives, that we would be released from the burden of sin and guilt through the forgiveness that is ours through the salvation of the cross but that our lives would also be different because you invite us to live with you and walk with you, to be transformed in our daily lives that we would be like you. And you call us to do this not just as individuals but as a church, that people would see us and see that we are of the same mind and the same spirit and that is the mind and the spirit of Christ Lord, lay upon our hearts those things that this day and this week and this year you want to change, that we would look a little bit more like you, that we would give thanks for what you are doing in our lives, and that others would see and glorify our Father in heaven for the good things that he is doing. Help us to encourage one another in this, even as we wait for the full revelation of your glory as you return and bring all things under your authority. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen.